0: Hello
1: and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode 311, recorded December 29th, 2019. Not much left of 2019. Yep, that's true. It's almost over. One it's day. It's almost over. It's going to be All 2020. Two 2020 just sounds like a science fiction day to me. Like, yeah. like 2001. Like something important should be happening by 2020.
0: Yep. Leap year and uh, election here in the states. That's that's all I know. That's coming out. That's right. all. Yes,
1: exactly. Nothing that interesting. At least we're
0: not even we're not even going to get a Star Wars or Star Trek movie in 2020. So psh, not looking like uh, a good one. Sucks. <laughs> uh,
1: at least we should be getting um, ah, but we are going to get Picard.
0: Picard, yeah, and-
1: TV series. And uh, I assume another season of Mandalorian. Um, definitely going to get another season of uh, Discovery. That's um, true.
0: We got, so we got two Star Treks to look forward to. Exactly. Maybe one of those animated series will come out by the end of the year.
1: Oh, right. There's like a comedy Star Trek thing coming out, right?
0: Well, there's, yeah, there's two. One aimed at kids and one aimed at adults.
1: Oh, okay. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yes, and here we are today to talk about Star Trek and Taw's Star Trek.
0: Yeah, and that uh, the hidden fifth season that we didn't ever get.
1: Exactly. So um, there was a year four comic,
0: uh, you know, string of comic books, right? That's true. There was two miniseries. Uh, one one of the miniseries was written by DC Fontania, mm-hmm. who was one of the main writers of the original series and the animated series. Huh. But uh, who recently passed away just a couple of weeks ago? Oh, I didn't know that. That's too bad. Oh, you didn't hear that she passed away? I did not hear that. Yeah, yeah. Mm.
1: Originally, she was like a script editor or an assistant to Roddenberry or something. And then she, uh, she started writing, and uh, boy, she did write a lot of good stuff. Right. The only good season three episode she wrote Spock's Brain? <laughs> Funny. Oh, the, that, Interpri- all, the enterprise incident.
0: Our... Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: The enterprise incident. Yeah, the rest of the season pretty much garbage.
0: I had that one where they go back in time and Spock becomes a caveman or something. Was oh, that
1: one? one? You like that one? Yeah, I guess it was okay.
0: Not the worst one.
1: No, it's not the worst one. No, that that one was
0: okay. Okay, yeah. So so anyway, so this uh, doesn't necessarily take place after the year four because these. These issues don't mention anything that happened in that year four miniseries. There's two, there was two year four miniseries that IDW did. Yeah. One was called year four and one was called year four Enterprise Experiment or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Um, but that those had Maress and uh, uh, the three-armed guy. What's his name? Uh, Rx. Ajax. Rx. Rx. But, uh, Ajax. But they're not... They're not not in year five, so it's just like, okay, they get transferred off after the first...
1: Yeah, I kind of wonder why they didn't include them, but they didn't. Right. Um, Another interesting thing about this one is they know it's their last year, and they're like, you know, they bring it
0: up, and there's an awful lot of
1: foreshadowing uh, into what we saw in the movies.
0: Right, and some... Some uh, callbacks to later series that uh, that that made me happy, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the in here in a few minutes. Okay, sounds great. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I these they're they're written weird these these stories because part of it's written like right at the end of the five year mission, and then it the rest of this is kind of a almost like a flashback to. The beginning of the year five. I, I don't know. They haven't really, they no, haven't really explained it. And there's this weird like time jump that uh, that we'll talk about here in a second.
1: Yeah, which they've just got. Weird. Yeah, they've got a really good teaser at the beginning of the first issue, and um, they never come back to it. So I wonder if I wonder if you're not going to see the rest of it until the last issue because this is this is a limited run series, right? Um,
0: is it? I, I thought so. I don't know. I thought it was an ongoing. They're up to like twelve now. right? Well,
1: when I say when I say a limited run, I don't I don't mean only a four issue kind of thing. Oh, right. I mean right, right. it's not open ended. I don't. At least I didn't think it was, but maybe it is. I
0: mean it's finite in that eventually they'll have to go to year six. But <laughs> well,
1: no, but it, yeah. I, I had yes, I, would, yeah, I actually, had the impression, I could be wrong, but I had the impression this was not an open-ended, ongoing thing. That, you know, it was only going to have like X number of issues, uh, 10 issues or 9 issues or whatever. I mean, what what is it up to now? 11. 11, okay. Well, that's, that's a lot. Yeah, okay. so maybe well, maybe it'll be, I don't
0: know. 52, maybe they will let it go. If they're yeah, selling it, I bet they will. They'll be like, yeah, we did a whole year. Year five. <laughs> okay. What a week. There you go. Anyways, yeah. So I don't know, but I hope so. I hope they, I hope they finish off that story that uh, the that we're well, gonna hear we'll talk about here in a second. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's just go ahead and go let's into do it. it, and then we'll, I don't do want to spoil anything. There you go.
1: Okay. So this is IDW's Star Trek uh, TOS Year Five, and I'm doing the first issue. It is uh, published date April 2019, and the creative team includes the writer. Uh, Jack Lansing and Colin Kelly, art by Stephen Thompson, colors by Charlie Kirchhoff, letterer Neil Yataki, editor Chase Morotes, editorial assistant Annie Perhentupa, group editor is Denton J. Tipton. We got four covers. Cover A features Kirk and Spock's head along uh, with the Enterprise in the upper half. McCoy, Scotty, Uhura, Sulu, and Chekhov are in the lower half in the process of transporting to a rocky, arid alien surface. The cover is by Greg Hildebrandt. The retailer incentive cover A features Spock and Kirk back-to-back, with two Tholian ships entwining them in white energy thread. The Enterprise is streaking upward through the center of the book. Chakov, Scotty, Nurse Chapel, McCoy, Ahura, and Sulu are in, a multi, are in multicolored circles near the top of the page. At the top is the text, These are the final voyages! Exclamation mark. Second from the bottom is uh, Star Trek, kind of in a stylized gold key kind of font. And then at the very bottom is the uh, words Year 5, followed by the comic production team's last names. The, really, <clears throat> the retailer incentive cover B is the pencil sketch version of cover A that purchaser, purchasers can color in if they so desire. The cover by Greg Hildebrandt, still. And the last one is getting a lot of, a lot of mileage out of that, uh, <laughs> out of that cover. Uh, so here, the conversion edition is, the, is like the main cover, but in black and white. And uh, again, cover by Greg Hildebrandt. Captain James T. Kirk is making the final entry in his captain's log, or so he says. The hull of the Enterprise is under extreme stress. White-hot filaments dance across the leading edge of the primary hull. On the darkened and almost empty bridge, Kirk wears a scowl and a ripped tunic. While he continues his log entry, a humanoid hand holds a gun to Kirk's head. Before... The Enterprise, and a companion device, arrives at the Lloyd Zeta Supergiant Star, the largest stellar object ever detected by Starfleet. In response to a comment by Ensign Chekhov attempting to make light of their most dangerous situation, Spock explains their mission, and in meticulous detail, why it's the most dangerous one Starfleet has ever assigned them to. The massive star is calculated to explode into the largest nova ever witnessed and sterilize the entire sector with the gamma radiation it will emit. That is, unless Operation Ourobos is successful in establishing, by means of the device they brought with them, an Einstein-Rosen Ouroboros. That structure is essentially a never-ending wormhole that will contain the massive energies emitted by the hypernova event. The only way the device will work is if the Enterprise crew can guide the device to the precise location of the hypernova's energy cascade. Of course, that will put the ship in close proximity to the event which will utterly destroy the ship and crew if the wormhole cannot be established. The scary consequences of failure presents such a challenge to Kirk that he is stoked and orders full impulse to position the ship and the device. After positioning the device and the Enterprise, the crew has a chance to look at the light show and prepare for the event. Kirk explains to McCoy that he just made Admiral. Though this is something Kirk worked for years to achieve, he tells McCoy he does not want to go back to Earth and become a chair-bound paper pusher. Unexpectedly, they receive a Tholian distress call from the ninth planet orbiting the Lloyd Zeta star. Like a damned fool, Kirk orders warp 7 uh, course to the ninth planet. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, along with a three-red-shirt security detail, armed with phaser rifles, very cool phaser rifles, beam down to the Tholian colony. By use of a harmonic resonator device, they find many Tholians are distributed around the colony grounds, but so far they are all dead. A surviving Tholian attacks, and is eventually killed by Kirk, with an improvised BFG capable of blowing a clean hole through the Tholian whose crystalline body is as hard as diamonds. Scotty hails a landing party and informs Kirk another ship has entered orbit. One of the red shirts tells the captain there is something he should see. In hiding there is a Tholian child. The child appears to be frightened by the humans. Had they killed the child's mother? Kirk makes a fateful decision and beams the landing party back to the ship, plus one. To be continued. That was pretty quick.
0: That was maybe your fastest synopsis.
1: Well, there there you go. I I think I covered all the main bits. But uh, yes, yes. I agree. Well,
0: Hypernova. Uh, It almost sounds JJ-esque. It does. I was wondering if this is maybe where it comes from. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, it's like that supernova that created that magic thing that was in the the 2009 movie. Um, it's like,
0: well, that thing must have come from a super huge star, right? Right. What if it was this one? I'm I'm not kidding. What if this mm-hmm. Rosen, this uh, Einstein, Rosen, Ori Borealis thing... Breaks. <laughs> supernova destroys Cro- uh, Romulus. And that's Venus. it. That's it. Yep. And yep. then them
1: holding it in stasis for any amount of time, maybe that's what created such the ridiculous <laughs> edge of the no- supernova that would go across the different solar systems. Exactly. This is it.
0: This is, this. This is setting it all up. Yeah. Nah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah
1: I don't know either but uh what what a device what a what a ridiculous notion I mean to actually put a ship and crew in danger like that they have a lot of confidence i mean, have they ever done this before? because it sounds to me like they have an awful lot of confidence in this device they're
0: they're using right nope yeah no it's it's weird <laughs> yeah,
1: and really, you couldn't have like computer control a thing or something. I don't know, but whatever. That's the well, big. That's the we'll big gamble.
0: See. Yeah, yeah. It's maybe not as dangerous as uh, we're led to believe here on those first few pages. Well, okay. But yeah, that man. I had such a hard time reading this book. Just oh. maybe it was just the you know four pages at the beginning that's just so dense of them talking about this experiment that I was just like I don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think well, I fell asleep like twice trying to read it. I, and it's weird. It's just, I mean, I don't mind reading. It's just like, man, it was just, I didn't care what they were saying. And they I, were just like, I, I don't mind reading. Things. It's just the number of words involved. <laughs> if you have something interesting to say, I don't mind reading it. But Spock just kept talking. Well,
1: it was a science thing. It's, I mean, it, this is dense. These are some of the most dense word bubbles. I'm looking at the page where right. spock is explaining everything and there are a lot of words in these bubbles but you know it's it's explaining sure you know a, a semi interesting possibility here uh of what a super 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 giant star when it comes to the end of its life you know what would happen
0: right but also in this this series they're trying to make it feel more like the TV show I think mm-hmm. where they have this weird omniscient Captain Kirk log oh. at certain points that kind of like catch up the reader as to what's going on right. but there wasn't a commercial break you know cuz in the show that's that's the reason for the, him to do that at the end of every at the beginning of every commercial break when they came back right he would this omniscient Kirk would like say oh you know we were we were trapped and we had no communicator but uh we didn't, you know, you know, I got yeah, yeah, a plan exactly. or something like that, yeah. you know. Because you don't know who, who came back from the, you know, watching whatever on another yeah. channel and came back and or you just forgot because your attention span's so low. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But So when you're watching the TV show, you know even now without the commercials, you, it's kind of annoying. But you're like, okay, well, it had to be there because of the commercials. Mm-hmm. But here, there are no commercials. There's no ads. Yet, a lot of times, the very next page will be this omniscient Kirk explaining what happened on the previous page when I yeah, didn't think it needed to be there.
1: Yeah. Well, okay, so there's two pages – one mainly of Spock explaining what's going on, and then more of the the next page. More of the crew is able to say something. Chekov says something. Sulu, Kirk, and then and then Kirk says, "Let's go." And then you're right. The third page is an entire page of Kirk's log, captain's log. Right. And uh, this is dense too.
0: And it's just explaining what was in the previous two pages.
1: Well, it does say some new things, but you're it right. Says it's, some new it's, things, it's mostly but... recapping. Right. What we already found out about.
0: Right. As if we had the you know, the title credits or something or a commercial to, to yeah. break our concentration, not just right. flipping a page. Yep. So, uh, yeah. That, and they do it a lot in the second and third issue, too, which is just like, I know this. I, I just read it, dude.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but they also slip some things in. Like, uh, there's a whole thing where Kirk is saying, I know there will not be a fifth anniversary for this crew among the stars. And it weighs deeply on me, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, you know, they are slipping some things in here about, you know, everybody realizes this is the last year, and what are they going to do next? And amazing that in the first issue of the fifth year, uh, he's Admiral. Right. So. Uh, That surprised me. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, I thought he, they finished the mission, and then he made Admiral. But no, kind of weird.
0: Well, at the end, of this that last JJ verse movie, yeah. weren't they trying to make him admiral then
1: too? Oh, were they? Hmm.
0: Weren't they? I don't know. Well, I thought
1: he was just kind of burned
0: out on the whole thing. Yeah, uh, I and... thought she offered him admiral, and he's like, "Oh, I don't know about being under a desk." Oh, at the very end, at the be in the beyond. Well, I know, I know yeah. he. Okay. Hmm. Maybe.
1: So at the beginning of the thing, or. When he they first get to the uh, to the snow globe, right? Um, he puts in for being second banana on that space station.
0: Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah,
1: he put in for that, and then by the end, uh, he's over with all that. He wants to still be exploring. And did they try to get him to be admiral already? Eh, maybe I don't know. I don't remember that, but maybe.
0: Anyways, so I, I don't know why I, I I thought of that when when I read that Kirk here was already admiral, but uh, but yeah, yeah,
1: I got a question for you in the movies, and I should know this, but did does does Pine ever talk about a five year mission? They must, no. right or no? I don't think so. Okay, because why artificially cap it anyway? But whatever, um, because they're trying to trying to, I mean. The thing about the J.J. movies is they're kind of trying to go in real time. Like, it's been three years between movies. It's roughly, more or less, like two or three years have happened to the crew. Right. So they kind of, they do jump time. Unlike the uh, original Taz movies, which was like one after the other. Uh, t- you know, narrative-wise. They were all strung together. Um,
0: Except for the first and the sixth one. That well, was, yeah, those I'm seem not, to be kind of
1: yeah. When too, far yeah. off from the other
0: other fo- oh, right. exactly, yeah,
1: because they didn't know what they were doing with the first one, uh, which was <laughs> evidenced. But uh, I think they definitely, by the time they did the second film, they they already had a trilogy mapped out. So, oh, you think that was anyway. mapped out? Well, I, I think so. I yeah, think they probably they, had they an idea like, about what they wanted we're gonna
0: to do, do. Whales in the next. We're gonna we're gonna have well, uh, we're gonna have. What's his, Reverend Jim's going to come in as Klingon. Huh? Well, no, they didn't have after, the casting done. After you know, they didn't have uh, the
1: casting done, but I'm sure they had some ideas for how to continue. I mean, uh, obviously uh, Spock did not. I mean, Leonard Nimoy didn't want to be Spock anymore, so they right. killed him off. But come on, at the end when he when the the torpedo coffin is on Genesis, you know that was the whole idea of that was to bring Spock back.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I say I say those two, two and three definitely were probably at least somewhat planned out at the same time. But I just can't imagine somebody when they're making part two to think, "Oh, we're gonna do a whale episode in a couple of movies."
1: Well, okay, so maybe not the
0: whale thing,
1: <laughs> but they finally—I mean, they had to because they didn't. Spock wasn't didn't have all of his marbles together until right. until four, right? So they said, "Well, with Spock back in the saddle, you know, this has to be another adventure for the crew." So maybe they didn't figure out whales, but anyway, the main point is they were right after each other, right? Sure. Yeah. Three, ep- you know, people were getting fatter and older, but still. They were all three <laughs> in a row. There you go. Um, but they definitely have not gone down that path with the uh, JJ first movies. So,
0: right. Which is I I like that. That's that's uh, one of my complaints about the last Jedi is that it takes place the day after the Force Awakens, which I didn't like. I think there should be some some, some time, time between all the movies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that we can fit in comic books and other stuff like like uh, <laughs> you know like the ongoing exactly damage. you got openings exactly like the whole Clone Wars thing. Exactly, Lucas does was a whole animated show. TV show to to to
1: fill out all that that activity going on. Right,
0: and the Star Trek ongoing had and boldly go. That's two series that were set up in between the JJ movies. There you go, which I liked exactly. So okay. anyways, yeah, so I was surprised that uh, Admiral, he's already Admiral. Um, I kind of wish they would have started, you know, if he's already Admiral, then maybe phasing in some of the aesthetics that we see in the motion picture. You know, like kind of like what we did in that uh, that DC annual where they started wearing, you know, the pajamas oh, towards right. the end of the fifth year. Right, right. Yeah, For they def—they the- definitely know where they're heading
1: and they are injecting things, like one of your favorite parts, the observation about Scotty's weight, Spock's observation.
0: Yeah, so basically Spock tells, uh, t- tells Scotty that uh, due to his DNA profile, he's going to have uh, uh, trouble with his weight as he gets older. <laughs> and then I almost expected him to say, and you're going to have this gray mustache.
1: Yeah. Well, Scotty actually says something about picking up. What did he say? Since Is I've been on this it? ship, I picked up 20 pounds or something? or.
0: No, no, no. Spock's the one that points out that he's put on twenty. Pounds. Oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, are the,
1: oh, are those doors getting faster? Or am I just putting on pounds? That's what. That's it. And yeah. then it it is Spock that says a
0: likelihood uh, of future struggle with obesity. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh yeah, but he also says your weight has increased twenty seven point three pounds since our first voyage. <laughs> So, you know, live it, leave it to Spock to be reading people's uh, medical evaluations and putting, remembering exact weights of the crew. It's like, what, what a jerk to have to work with. Exactly. You, you, you know my name since the beginning of the project? What? <laughs> and you're bringing it up for no good reason?
0: Okay. You said know my name or know my weight?
1: <laughs> yes, you don't need to know my weight. Okay,
0: so so uh, the Tholians uh, on the planet, what'd you think? Well, uh, I thought Tholians were
1: used to living within extreme temperatures, extreme high temperatures, like four hundred degrees or something. Right. So this appeared to be a colony of Tholians that chose to be where they're at. Um. Yet on that planet a landing party can be there with their t-shirts on and, you know, their normal tunics right. and, and they're, they're comforting up, yep. you know, they're, they're not down there with the uh, black shorts and Hawaiian shirts or something <laughs> because of the heat. No, they're in normal, normal garb. So these Tholians, uh, must be able to operate in a very broad uh, temperature range. So I thought that was kind of odd.
0: Right. Which is really weird when, um, well, in the next issue, they make a big deal about trying to keep this, uh, this, this child comfy.
1: Right. So they're trying to get the temperature up within its cage, its right. containment yeah, thing. But then in
0: Enterprise, didn't they mess with that too where they had captured a Tholian and uh, it was their mirror universe and Dr. Fox was – fox was um, you know, cooling down the room that he was in and he started cracking and things like that. Getting all oh,
1: HD'd. that was his way of, of torturing it or something? Yeah, right. Got it, right. Okay, I'm remembering that now. At first I didn't remember what you were talking about, but yeah, it's coming back. Right. Phlox, you nasty person.
0: Which uh. I did like how the uh, these aliens do look like that version of the Tholians. You know, we don't ever see oh, them right. in the in Tholians yeah. in the actual Taz episode, except for their heads.
1: Exactly it's like neck up or su- or whatever you see yeah, right, you see their heads, you have no idea what the rest of their body's like,
0: but then in that episode, we got to see their their bodies and right they they look like this
1: yeah, interesting how many legs they have, so six legs, kind of like an insect, but um hmm, but they're not insects, obviously, they're crystalline, and boy, that must have really hurt Spock's hand when he punched it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and how do you like that Kirk improvised uh, a weapon? Because of course I didn't bring it up, but phasers are pretty useless against uh, these diamond hard crystalline entities. Right. Always... So he's
0: able to what? Cobble together a projectile weapon? Is that what he did?
1: Well, I, I don't think he shot a projectile. Um... But it, it like shot like like sound vibrations or
0: something. Uh, so
1: okay. in seconds, he's able to cobble together a phaser rifle, together with um, what did they? It was some kind of a seismic thing. What did they call it? Uh, I'm not sure what they called it, but it was some kind of a seismic vibration thing you do, and they use that to locate where the uh, super hard.
0: Tholians were. Hmm. Okay. So he's able to just cobble together guns out of anything, just like he did in the arena.
1: Uh, exactly. The arena. uh yes, the arena episode. Exactly. Right. And he does mention what Cessus three. Yeah. He mentioned that, which is pretty cool. Okay. A harmonic resonator. So he takes the harmonic resonator that he used earlier to find locate the Tholians, and he was able to. Pretty lickety split. Cobble that and a phaser rifle together to create a a a big fracking gun that he used to blow a hole in the uh, Tholian. Right. Kirk, to the rescue.
0: It's convenient.
1: It's 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 convenient. Well, I kind of wondered what that thing was in the first place. It just seemed like, come on, can't uh, can't Tri-cord a tricorder to do dead. that? Exactly. But anyway. So we found out. And I got to say, that shot where you're looking through the Tholian and then you see Kirk in the distance, you know, having, you know, having shot the thing, that's pretty cool.
0: No, it does look cool. The, the artwork overall, I thought, was really good.
1: Um, yeah. I, I like this issue very much. Very, very much. I think the, uh, the artist was very good and better than the
0: next couple issues. I think the next issue is definitely the same artist. Ah, uh, then it must be the third one that I'm thinking of. Oh, it, yeah, is, the sa- th-
1: it is the same one. It's, a th- it's a third yeah, the third one. Yeah, the third one they change, yeah. Yeah, the third one, yeah, I have some comments when we get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first two look really good.
0: But when I was reading this, uh, especially that, you know, the one, the very dense page that we were complaining about earlier, mm-hmm. uh, just with the camera angles and things like that, um, really reminiscent of what, what I recall of, of being the, um, the Marvel Star Trek series, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I always remember that one of being really interesting, the way they do panel placements and things like that. Mm. And uh, this, this maybe with the, the bright blue colors and things like that, really reminded me of those old Marvel books. Right. Um, so yeah, I liked it. And I thought the ships looked awesome. Uh, the guns looked good creatures look good so all in all i really enjoyed these these first two issues very accurate
1: yeah the, the the faces are universally very uh faithful to the original actors uh they're i mean they're not all perfect but they're pretty close um yeah yep and was there anything? Uh, oh, uh, I the red I, for multiple reasons. I love the fact that the three red shirts that were beamed down were all armed with phaser rifles. Of so course. that that never happens. I mean, they all go down with you know pistols. But uh, is it because they thought Tholians were around? Is that why they came down with phaser rifles? I would assume so. The Bad news. Yeah, they are. Well, especially when they find out that Tholians. I mean, they shoot at them with the phaser rifles, and they're not getting a lot of results. So, uh, that's great that you brought the phaser rifles, but it doesn't look like it's very useful either, unless you put together a harmonic resonator uh, mm-hmm. at the last minute. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I thought that was great. I mean, the, they look good, and it's like you guys are getting killed all the time. Wouldn't you say. Want to start requisitioning rifles? Like, come on.
0: Right. All right, anything else?
1: Yeah, uh, that's it. That's it for me. I got nothing else on this one.
0: <laughs> yeah, me either. All right, cool. All right, then we'll move on to the second one. Uh, this is Star Trek Year 5, issue number two. Came out May of 2019. The uh, writers, artists, colorists, letterers, and all the editorials are all the exact same as issue number one. Uh, There was two covers for this that I could find. Uh, The first one was by uh, Stephen Thompson, and it's a uh, kind of a painting. And it has like a Tholian up at the top with his arms kind of reaching down. And then uh, like from his fingers is a Tholian web. And then behind the web, we see uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy as if they're trapped inside of the web. And then the uh, retailer ex- ex- incentive cover is by J.J. Uh, Lindy. And it's kind of a propaganda poster. So it's, uh has words at the top that says, Enter the web of wonders. Experience the far reaches of the Tholian assembly. And then it's kind of like a 2D art style with... Uh, I guess it's those little ships that make the Tholian web, but they're kind of flying across the, the page making the web. And then we see, like, a little Starfleet couple and the girls, like, pointing up to the sky. So It actually says uh, Star Trek Year 5 Travel Guide up at the top, so there you go. Alright, so the Enterprise is confronted by a Tholian warship that claims that the Enterprise is responsible for trespassing, altering their local son, meddling with the Tholian colony, murdering a Tholian warrior, and kidnapping a Tholian child. They state that if Kirk releases the child back to them, uh, they will be free to go. Kirk refuses, and they are attacked with a beam that slices straight through the Enterprise's uh, hull section, saucer section. This leaves the hull undamaged, but unfortunately, evaporates all the crewmen that the beam just happens to pass through, along with knocking out several of the computer's systems. Mm -hmm. Spock tries to inform Kirk that uh, releasing the child would be the logical step, but Kirk cuts him off and orders Sulu to plot a course without any type of computer aid and retreat at warp one. The Tholians follow, but they do not overtake them or fire on them anymore. At a relative standoff, Kirk gives Scotty the con, and requests McCoy and Spock to join him in the conference room. Both McCoy and Spock think that the child should be given back. McCoy is concerned also that they don't even know how to take care of the child. Kirk refuses to take his closest friend's advice, and states that they will keep the child on the ship. Meanwhile, on the bridge, Scotty has the crew spitball some ideas, and they come up with what happened on the ship. Not only on the ship, but also on the planet. So between all of them, they piece together little bits of knowledge, and they come up with the idea that the weapon that they were attacked with is the same weapon that the Tholians used to create the web. And that it's actually like some sort of super cold beam. Uh, which doesn't hurt the whole, but freezes any organic material down to absolute zero, which they then would just shatter and turn to dust. Uh, This, they say, is the same type of weapon that they noticed uh, on the Tholian corpses there on the colony. So this proves that the Tholians attacked the colony themselves, perhaps even the ship that's following them. Kirk goes to sickbay and he talks to the child. He tells him how he once lived away from Earth on a colony planet. A, this actually is a nod to uh, – there's actually a little nod to the Enterprise's Mayweather, stating that the, uh, the captain of the ship that ferried him to the planet was named Mayweather, so perhaps the same one. But uh, once they were on the colony, the colony had an infection in their food where they lost half of their supplies. So the solution that the governor came up with was to kill half the colonists so that the other half would survive. He then asks the creature uh, to give him some sort of sign on what the creature wants to do. Does he want to stay on the ship or does he want to go back to his people? So the creature, so Kirk places his hand on the glass and then the creature lifts up and touches his head to the glass. So this gives Kirk the answer that he was looking for. So back on the bridge, Kirk orders Sulu to steer the ship back to the star that they were at in the last issue. You know, the one with the uh, Einstein-Rosen-Ouroboros device. Uh, the maneuver is very dangerous, but Sulu is able to get next to the device despite the fluctuation in gravity. The Tholians take point and fire at the Enterprise. But without taking the gravity fluxes into consideration, the attack misses. Kirk opens calm to the Tholians and states that the child will have asylum on the ship. And then they turn around and they travel further towards the star. The Tholians try to also follow, but they do not compensate correctly, and their ship is destroyed. And then one of the final frames of the book reminds us that this is all a flashback, and we see Kirk alone on the bridge's Enterprise with a gun up against his head, as we saw on the first page of the last issue. The end, or to be continued, however you want to look at it. Well, definitely
1: unlike the TV show, um, there's definitely an ongoing thread here, a narrative thread. So uh, we're not quite standalone, at least yet, in the issues. Right. What an odd place to leave it. So, <clears throat> at the end, Kirk is kind of wrapping things up. They were able to take care of at least that current Tholian threat. And they still got the kids, so that's still an issue. But um, at the, it, they feel compelled to insert one panel into Kirk's little wrap-up. One page wrap up of the end of the ep- uh, end of the issue, they they insert one little panel, one out of four, one out of five, whatever it is, uh, that shows it with the gun to the head again, like like you had mentioned. So right. they're reminding you of it. So there's something coming up, uh, and and Kirk says something about hoping that his decision didn't really screw things up, uh, to you know hold on to the kid, but uh, does this have does the humanoid with the gun to the head that we're going to find out about eventually have anything to do with the Tholians? I don't know. I don't know. Um,
0: but it's definitely not a Tholian. It, it looks like no? a
1: Caucasian hand. It's, it's, uh, exactly. And even though the uh, phaser is kind of uh, a unique shape um, really it, it you can tell it's, it's uh, a Federation device. Uh, the front of it looks a bit like a, a Type 2 phaser. Um, the back of it, oddly enough, looks a little bit like um, the phaser that Pike used uh, that was in the first pilot. Um, so, you know, it, it looks twisty,
0: like... The twisty knob? No, at the back. The back of it. Oh, you can see the back? Okay.
1: Well, it's in the first issue. You can see the back of it. Uh... So, if you, if you take a look at the first issue, the very first page, where they've got the, the gun, you can see the gun very well. And the front of it Looks kind of sort of like a clunky, you know, a, a, an adjustable uh, phaser knob. You know, kind of like what's on a, on a normal phaser type 2. And then the back of it looks, uh, has kind of like a, a sharp point. It comes up to a sharp point. Looks a little bit like the back of a uh, cage phaser. Um, anyway, it's human and I, I think the phaser might actually be, you know, something of uh, Federation design. So is that Section 31 or something? Or what is it? Who is it? I don't know. Or a as-to-be-met uh, future threat? I don't know. Maybe
0: we'll find out in the next issue. Maybe. Or maybe not. hmm
1: <laughs> Yes. Um, so where do the Tholians get all their wonderful toys? Just to do a Batman reference. Uh, so they, they got the web trick, you know, where they, they, they put you in a web that takes like hours to make, which really, right. you know,
0: you could have just flown away.
1: You could have, you'd think. Uh, but yeah, so they got the web things they do. Um, and then they got these energy beams that what freezes things, uh, and killing living matter. Right. Um, yeah. So is that actually more of a weapon designed to be used against other Tholians? Because uh, like like cold is a big deal, like a weakness of the Tholians. Um, I wonder. And then when they use it on a on a Federation ship, well, it kills people too. But um, people, not ships.
0: Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean. Uh, I mean... Just like a bullet kills an elephant, but uh, also kills people pretty good, too. So, I mean, it's hard to say. Would you build a weapon only for one species or just any species that you want to kill?
1: Yeah, I'm just trying to come up with a reason why they have a freeze
0: ray. Yeah, maybe that's what – I, I thought that Chekhov said that's what the web was made out of. So they just – instead of making a web, they just shot it through the ship. That it was the same type of weapon no
1: i i don't know i don't remember that but maybe maybe i, I just missed it but i do like the look of these skeletons the pepto colored skeletons uh so basically the, the, it shows a shot in a hallway of the enterprise where there are a couple people there and and they're affected by this thing and going down and they almost look like um I know I've seen that kind of effect before, where basically you see right through their bodies into their skeletal system.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, Doctor Who does it a lot, and then also, um, I think they did it in Mars attacks and things like that. So. Oh, okay, Mars attacks. There you go. Uh, right, cool. And, but yeah, well, of Doctor course, Who does it when the, when the Daleks kill people, they, they do that same thing.
1: Ah, uh, okay. But in this case, instead of it just being a white skeleton. It's pepto colored. It's like a... Kind of gross, really. It's like <laughs> it's like a hot pink or something, or...
0: Right. Yeah, it definitely is hot pink. Yeah. But it's kind of weird, because then... So you on the outside of the ship, you can see the beam hitting one side of the saucer section and then coming out the other. Right. But on the inside, it's invisible, because... I mean, there's people, you know, maybe 10 feet away from the people that are being disintegrated. Right. And... You know they're not and seeing they a look, big beam of light through the ship. Exactly, because, you know, right. People melting.
1: Turn into mm-hmm. Peptobismol skeletons. Yuck! 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 Yeah, but that is a good shot. I mean, the Enterprise looks really good. There's a lot of good detail on the Enterprise
0: in that drawing. Yeah. Right. So. So. No, all, all the artwork is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, like I said, for the last sure. issue. The, right. the only artwork I didn't like in this issue was when the Tholian ship is destroyed. I, I don't know. just That looks weird. Because it shows, looks like they're just open to space already. Mm-hmm. When the, the aliens are like yelling or something. But it looks like their ship's already open to space. Or is that supposed to be a view screen? I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's weird. Isn't that weird? That's weird. I didn't know what, what to make of that. Okay. So is, is that where the, the weapon comes out? Uh, I mean it looks like they're almost like in a in a barn or something. Uh where one wall is open. Or is is that that's their view screen? I don't know.
0: It, I don't know. It, that's all, that's why I didn't really like it. One, it was it looked too cluttered, but then also it was just like I don't I don't know what I'm looking at. Right. And of course the outside of the ship looks pretty normal, right? It mm-hmm, looks like a normal yeah. ship yep. with, you know, what wings Agreed. that we're used to seeing and Windows that we're used to seeing, but then that the internal ship—it looked like all these weird girders and everything—and it just didn't really make sense what I was seeing. No, but they wanted to look different, so
1: mission accomplished. Right. Yeah, and I guess they normally sit on the floor, so they don't have chairs. Uh, Yeah. Or at least the guys that are like maybe helming the ship or at there's two guys to the left that are at some controls, and they're sitting on their butt. Yep. Their, with their legs kind of folded up a little bit. That's true. Yeah, which in the same position you see the uh, the child. Uh, when, in when, his, just... yeah, when he's just hanging out. Chilling. 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 Chillin'.
0: Yeah, every time we call it the child, I keep thinking of the Mandalorian. <laughs> exactly, but isn't, isn't it kind of similar?
1: It is very similar. I mean, Kirk's kind of taking this thing under its wing, and it's doing it because of hit Kirk's experience uh as a teenager or something, uh at the hands of Kodos the executioner. So that was right. kind of interesting.
0: So remind me, was in Taz they said that Kirk was part of that colony? Oh yeah. Okay. I didn't yeah. remember that part.
1: because yeah, yeah, so <laughs> if you remember uh, what what was the name of that episode? Um I forgot, but uh, Kodos, as you'll recall, was like he was an actor or something. And then the the super hot daughter uh, turned out to be killing people that knew what Kodos looked like. And that included Kirk. So the whole idea was they were like a Shakespearean company that would tour and go to different places, but they were purposely booking things um, Places where uh, people that had the remaining living people that had saw, seen Kodos, uh, his face. So the daughter was protecting the father, and Kirk was one of them. And mm-hmm. if you'll recall, I, I, I don't know, I'm not sure if you finished the book, but um,
0: yeah, the Discovery book,
1: the disc exactly. So the one that that had Giorgio and um, Lorca, Lorca earlier in their careers uh they were involved on this planet. So Lorca was already there, uh, as part of some kind of a scientific team or something. I forgot what it was. Uh but uh yeah. So Kirk was in that book, but he was a teenager or something.
0: Huh. So Kirk is in that book. All right I'm gonna have Kirk to finish is in that book. Yep. Now I gotta finish it. Now I've yep. got to finish it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah when he was so, when he was saying the story i was like I, I know this story but i didn't remember Kirk being on the planet did it explain why he left iowa to go to Tar- you sport you know,
1: none of that made sense to me <laughs> you know it's like he's from iowa they always say he was from iowa but then he ends up as a teenager out on this colony planet so i think it was just a um they had an opportunity. I mean, he wasn't as fleshed out back then. Right. And, you know, he was supposed to be from Iowa, you know, whatever. Uh, but then they had this story where if Kirk was going to be, you know, another witness to Kodos, uh, well, he had to be on that colony planet. So I think they just uh, made it, did a little retcon, um, maybe. Or maybe established something that would become more uncomfortable later. Especially when you saw the J.J. books. Right. Uh, or the movies, I should say. J.J. movies. Um,
0: yeah, but the J.J. Kirk, you know, he, he didn't have parallel and stuff, so it, Yeah, it was it,
1: a parallel it, thing.
0: Yeah, so.
1: Yeah, and, uh, and quite frankly, in the original Taws, uh, they never said anything about his father being in Starfleet that I recall in, in the original TV series.
0: Did they say he was a farmer or
1: something? I I don't remember them saying what he was, but uh, he all he, they they gave him a brother, so we know about that one where they just put a little fake mustache on Kirk. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, so at least the brother was on a colony. Um, so I, I, I don't remember I don't remember what the backstory was with the father. In the original in the original series. But obviously, right. he's Thor
0: in JJ verse.
1: That's true. Which is quite an uptick.
0: So, um, uh, all right. Well, I'm glad you cleared that up. No problem. And now I got to go finish. Was it Drastic Measures or something like that? Something uh, measures. I think you're right. Drastic Measures. Yeah. I know one
1: of them is titled Drastic Measures. Or yeah, one is Desperate Hours, and that that's was the one the first with Spock. One. Right, right. Which Uh, now can't be
0: canon. Oh. (laughs) Well, uh, why can't it be canon? Because in season two, she talks about how she hasn't talked to Spock since they were little kids, yet in desperate measures, they're on an away team mission together.
1: Oh, there you go. There you go. There you go. Well, you know, they never let continuity get in the way of a good story, or even a mediocre one. (laughs)
0: So, let's talk about Sulu for a second, shall we?
1: yeah, please. Okay, go ahead.
0: Alright, so he's able to pilot the ship through this gravity maelstrom without any problems. And yet, the Tholians, who you would assume still has computers and things like that, uh, are too stupid to figure it out. And they just crash right into the sun. So, how is Sulu able to do it without uh, any type of help?
1: Well... It seems like the, um, if you look at the page, it looks like the Tholian ship is stupid enough to cross the beam between the Federation device and the planet. Now, because it flies right through it, and then you see it start coming apart, what is that, because of gravity or something? I don't know, it looks cool, but um, it's just, uh, you know... Okay, so Sulu knew enough to go around the beam, and the Tholians were stupid enough to fly straight through it?
0: I don't know. Right. I mean, I did like the line where Kirk says, how's their angle, and Sulu just says, bad. And then you just see the ship being destroyed. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't think that they drove into that. I thought they got kind of sucked into it because of well, the, the gravity.
1: that's what I thought, too. But if you take a look at the page, which I'm just noticing now... That I'm going back through these pages, uh, it it looks like the Tholian ship is traveling directly through the uh, the beam.
0: Well, they're stupid then.
1: Well, exactly. Now, now the next panel right beneath it shows the uh, wreckage of the ship, really strewn in a very long line around the planet.
0: Around the sun, yeah, which or the
1: sun, that's, you're right? That's not possible. To the super sun. So I'm not quite sure how they got from the pic, the first long picture on that page, and the second one. It's right. just kind of confusing.
0: Yeah, like I said, that whole section right there yeah. the, with the alien ship being destroyed was the art that I didn't like because I just didn't really follow what was going on.
1: Yeah. Now, if it truly was a gravitational thing, which would make more sense to me, too, uh, you would think they would have enough sense to stay away from a super strong gravitational field, from a, a super, super massive sun. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, somehow, um, yeah, well, it, with that device, the Federation device, is creating some kind of wormhole, right? Isn't that what they said? So somehow the wormhole sucks it's a, it's a recycling thing. So somehow the wormhole is sucking in all the radiation and uh stuff coming off of the planet or the sun rather. And then maybe that's the part. It somehow got screwed up with the wormhole which it didn't know about. I don't know. But yes, yeah it, it she 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 all exploded. Well, that exploded actually just oh. got ripped to pieces. Right. Which is more like something that reminds me of like uh coming too close to a wormhole and getting caught in the gravitational force
0: that right. just
1: starts to stretch and elongate and just pull the uh, uh ship across, ship to pieces a, a
0: wormhole or a black hole
1: uh black hole yeah I well is it is isn't one it. end of a wormhole a black hole
0: that's what some people say yeah okay but well. but not in Star Trek. It's two different things. Okay. Okay. Cool. In Star Trek, you can make a wormhole just by going into warp while in the solar system. Oddly enough. What? In Star Trek: The Motion Picture, that's how they get into that stupid wormhole. wormhole oh, everything was all psychedelic, slow motion. Yeah, that was stupid. Yeah, it was stupid. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, they—they, they, I think. The producers realize that um, this is really boring, and everything's happening really slow we got to spice it up well let, let's let 's put the ship in danger. Billy, you got an idea? Oh, wormhole okay we'll I go with slower. that <laughs> <laughs> how does it How does it happen well we 'll figure it out during filming okay let 's go with that yeah it didn't make a lot of sense. Something I was kind of wondering about, Kirk says uh, they lost seventy eight crewmates. I think is it, was it the beam attack? Anyway, I so thought he that just spent over, over
0: his, the course of his whole thing. I mean, oh, that's right. That's right. So he lost seventy eight
1: crewmates across his his four years so far, basically. Or was he actually going be beyond the Enterprise assignment? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, but, I was thinking that it was just the Enterprise assignment. Okay, so let's say it's the Enterprise assignment. I was wondering how did he how how did they come up with that number? I mean, the people that wrote it, the guys that wrote it. So 78, interesting number. Did they actually go back and watch the TV series for all the red shirts that died and different characters that died over the years that actually took an effort at counting? Or did they just pull a number out of the sky?
0: I don't know. It would be cool if it did match up to something. Uh, right, or at least get an estimate. You start out. Well, let's let's actually
1: watch the episodes and count the number of people that die on the crew. Okay, the number is fifty-five. Okay, and you didn't see everything that happened. Well, let's round up to seventy-eight or something.
0: Right. Yeah, you would think that some people would just die off-screen, right? I mean, all the times that the ship was attacked and oh, sure, you can't see everything. Yeah, yeah.
1: you can't see everything. And and when he lists the people. 78 crewmates, and then, and then he Carol says, and David. It, Sam, Carol, and David. Okay, well, Sam died, but it had nothing to do with you, Kirk.
0: He's saying it was a rough four years, I guess.
1: Okay, I, I guess so. And then Carol and David aren't dead, but obviously the whole situation is weighing heavily upon him. So that's true. Hmm. I've right. lost so much since I took this chair. Ah, so it, it, he is putting it just within his assignment to the Enterprise. Right. And so he's talking about losing in many ways, not just necessarily because of his decisions.
0: Well, I don't know. So uh, Carol and David. David's only five years old or four years old in that picture. I mean, he looks really young when he's talking to her on the on the phone. Yeah. but So yeah. he goes from that to a, you know, 26, 27 year old man in Star Trek 2?
1: Well, um, how many years passed since the end of the assignment and uh, the events of Star Trek 2? I don't
0: know. Didn't feel like 20 years. No, probably not. But does it matter? I mean, really? Matters to me. Well,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Continuity. You, I don't of know. Course, when uh,
0: I just saw that picture of that little tiny kid chasing a butterfly or something, whatever it is, it's just like, hey, he should be older than that by this time, I would think. Yeah. For it to match up.
1: Well, I I don't know. Well how I don't know. How how young did he look like to you?
0: In that picture I, I'm or trying or to, I'm sort of of trying like... to get back to the
1: picture. No, I, I mm-hmm. know I know what he was in Star Trek Two. I just saw the movie last night, yay.
0: Oh, that's right, you did just watch it. I did. Um I don't know. I'm going to go to it too, but I rem- in my mind that was an issue I one, right? Being like a little kid. Yeah, it's an issue two. I mean, issue one. Sorry. Yeah. It's like the first. It's it's an early page in the third one.
1: Second page, third one. Oh yeah. Whoops. Yeah. It's look at the artwork. It's just not as good. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to tell in the in the artwork exactly how the kid how old the kid was. What is he going out a door or something behind Carol? Right.
0: Yeah, and it's actually in the third issue, not not the two that we've talked about thus far. Right.
1: Right. Okay, so it's coming up, but...
0: But yeah, he looks like a little kid. I, I, to me, he looked like five years old, which...
1: Oh, maybe. Kind of hard to tell, though. Uh, he looks kind of... He doesn't he,
0: look... He doesn't look 20 or 18. Which oh, is no, no, he no, he's
1: crazy. not 20 or 18. Well, hold on a second. Okay. A chunk of time passes between the beginning of the fifth year and when they pick things up in uh, Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. Right. I mean, they rebuilt, they, they did the, the refit on the Enterprise, so, you know, time passed. I'm not sure how much time, uh, another five years, six years, seven years, ten years? I'm, I don't recall exactly, but, um hmm.
0: You know somebody out there listening to us does know.
1: <laughs> yeah, because if they actually did try to say the amount of time that passed is the actual, you know, is, is even close to the amount of time that actually passed between the last uh, episode, which was, what, 69? Right. And then um, the motion picture. Uh, and then the motion picture, of course, was, and then even further down the line was Wrath of Khan. Uh, what was what, Wrath of Khan, 82? Was it 82? Maybe. 80, it was 80-something. Probably early 80s. Uh, So that's a chunk of time. That's over 10 years. So,
0: I don't know. Yeah. All right. So maybe it was like 10 years after... uh, 10 10 years after the series ended is when... Because Star Trek 1 came out in 79.
1: Right. Yep.
0: And I think they did kind of try to do... It's been real time. Mm -hmm. They tried to say that you know it's been... That many years since the show, so I guess yeah. ten years. Ten years from that picture, he'd be what, maybe fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, something like that. So maybe it was a little bit longer than just ten years, but yeah, or maybe he's older in that
1: picture. Yeah.
0: Anyway, all right. Moving
1: on, so a lot lost. He included people that are are not dead uh, as and, and non crewmates. So right. Anyway, I, he just weighs. I, on just, I just thought it was an
0: interesting number.
1: Yeah, that's uh, really all I have to say about this one.
0: Yeah, uh I didn't really care for the brainstorming session that Scotty has with Ahora Sulu Chekov. Oh. Aside from it gives them something to do, but I don't know, it just seemed like uh, kind of wasted pages. Well, <laughs> just, it got them involved more. It got them involved in, but I I don't know. The computer, the ship's still running, yet conveniently certain Certain uh, things don't work. Certain things don't work, but yeah. but view screens work. The buttons work. So it seems like a lot of stuff's still working, and yet they're still saying, "Oh, you're going to have to calculate this on paper." When uh-huh. I still see a lot of blinking lights everywhere. <laughs> it's like something's working.
1: Yeah, and could you see a super complex ship like that be able to continue to function without some kind of computer automation, right? Going on. Yep. No, um, and you'll see that in the next issue too. You know, just the right amount of things go on the fritz for various reasons that uh, you know it, it serves the story well. Right.
0: Right. All right. Well, I'm ready to go. To which is episode. which is really
1: not unusual to Star Trek in general. <laughs> you know that that or else they just forget they have shuttlecrafts. So. <laughs> Yeah, the gal yeah. Or
0: or that the t- oh 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 that, that, that was one? that was one other thing I had about this issue. What? They keep acting like, oh well we can't communicate to the to the baby, you know. Oh right, the, yeah. Yeah. The the communicators don't work. Right, or, right. Ahura can't figure it out, blah blah blah. And I'm like, Spock can mind meld with it and then get information out of it. True. He can do it to a rock, he can do it to a computer, why can't he do it yeah. to a, a tholian? He could. There you so, go. Good example. And he's one he of the ones that's things. like, we, we can't even talk to it, so we should send it back. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, you could talk to it. Exactly. Exactly. This, episode, this issue, you've decided that you don't want to use your mind-meld powers? Right. Yeah. It, that annoyed me. Every time he, they talked about not being well, able there's
1: to there's so many it. examples of that. Remember that I one where, where, where Kirk splits? Evil Kirk and good Kirk? Sure, sure. Um, so it. nobody else can can beam back because they'll get split too and then Sulu's demonstrating how the heat up rocks feature of oh, the phaser. Right. Yeah. Um, it's like they never ever mention the fact that they've got shuttlecrafts. And they, <laughs> they, they didn't even attempt to give an explanation why they couldn't use shuttlecrafts or why the shuttlecrafts were broken down. Um, they just never mentioned it. Just huh. take a shuttlecraft down and pick them up. What the heck? Many examples if we want to look for them. Sure.
0: All right. I'm ready to go to the third one. Please. Let's
1: go. Okay. So here's number three. Uh, It has June 2019 for a published date. We have a different, uh, slightly different uh, team, creative team. Uh, The writer on this one is Brandon Easton. And the art is by Martin Coccolo. Colors by Fran Gamboa. Letterer is Neil Yataki. Editor is Chase Morotes editorial assists okay so you know the, the the big big shots are all the same uh, editorial assist uh, Annie perhentupa uh, group editor is Dennis J or Denton J Timpton okay this one I only found two covers cover a features Kirk McCoy Spock on the balcony of a stone building with their heads carved in stone under the balcony the Starfleet swoosh is also etched in stone beneath their their stone heads. Um, the ecstatic people below are throwing them a ticker tape celebration and cheering the terrific trio uh, on from the ground level under the balcony. McCoy is executing a face palm 5 with his right hand uh, and the cover is by Stephen Thompson. The Retailer Incentive Cover A features an open communicator in the center with Spock, Kirk, McCoy's heads arrayed around it. There are three sets of text. The top says IDW presents a prime directive disaster. Lower center text says Star Trek Year 5. And they've got kind of, again, the gold key, kind of highly stylized font. The bottom says communicator breakdown in really large blocky white text, covers by J.J. J. Lendl. The Enterprise's crew, fresh from its violent encounter with the Tholians, are trying to figure out how to defuse the situation that could potentially lead to a war with the Tholians. To make matters worse, their Tholian guest is young and just as likely to be the victim of a Federation kidnapping as it is a refugee seeking asylum from its own people. The colony Kirk's Landing Party found, the Youth Inn, certainly appeared to be decimated by an attack by their own people, but for what purpose? Ship sensors detect an unstable warp signature created by primitive means. Navigation pinpoints the source is the Sigma Iosha system. McCoy moans as he recognizes the names as the home of the highly imitative Iotians, who had pat patterned their world's way of life after Chicago gangsters, all based on a book left behind by an earlier visitor from Earth. It's several years later and they have figured out warp travel. McCoy knows it was his communicator accidentally left behind on that world that might have been all those clever gangsters needed to leap ahead in technology, far ahead of the levels of, uh, that they knew in the 1920s. McCoy goes to Kirk's quarters, where the captain is finishing up a pa- on a painful call with Carol Marcus though Jim will be coming home to Earth in a year, she has made it plain Kirk will not be seeing his son David McCoy briefs Kirk on the IOcean's warp drive test as they walk to the bridge as they enter orbit they find hunks of space junk, mostly failed spacecraft among the junk a ship approaches them and asks Kirk, McCoy and Spock to come to their ship They beam over as Scotty and his team are wrestling a large and heavy-looking piece of equipment to be used on the Tholian guests' habitat. When they arrive, the Iotian astronauts welcome them and call them their fathers. They call them arbiters of Prometheus and say President Jamek has invited them to be their guests on the surface. McCoy is particularly distressed as the mythological references that point back to him as being Prometheus and the Communicator as fire. They beam down to the surface and behold a very modern-looking city still being constructed among much older-looking buildings. They meet the planetary president, Chris Jamek, and his chief of operations, Marcone Cloyed. They walk past admiring crowds and are guests at a presidential dinner. Kirk asks about how their entire society has been able to make such significant technological advancements in only two short years. In response, he is told of the troublesome southern territory not easily assimilating to the modern advancements like in the north. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Scotty gets a large contraption that looks like a jet engine working to turn up the heat in the Tholians' enclosure, which is just how they think their guest likes it. Scotty and Uhura have a moment in the hallway. On Iosha, the landing party is comfortably traveling with the president with President Jamek and Marcone discussing more on how the Iotians studied Earth history and took out one important lesson. Representational democracy is the optimal way to run a world. While driving down a road in a section of the city reserved for political ads, the presidential bus is attacked by the Astro Liberation Party! five heavily armed thugs completely covered by purple and silver riot outfits storm the bus their leader turns out to be jojo cracko and he ends up taking spock when they withdraw later kirk and mccoy are in marcon's hospital room discussing their and the iotian situation kirk calms down mccoy's concerns over Spock by reminding him Scotty can beam Spock back to the ship anytime they want. They change topics to Kirk's issues with Carol, keeping David from him. Back on the ship, an explosion in engineering takes place that knocks out multiple systems, including the transporters. O'Hara ends up in a phaser standoff with a security team that was tasked with guarding the Tholian. These lunkheads blame the explosion on the lad. Even with Scotty, the acting captain and third-in-command of the Enterprise, telling the security team to stand down, they won't do it. They see it as their duty to protect the Federation. Meanwhile, in Cheyenne Mountain, yes, that's a Stargate reference, Spock is working his magic with Jojo Krakow, who wants his party to win the fast-approaching presidential election. Spock tells them, with complete conviction, that they merely need to run the right candidate. Later the next day, Kirk and McCoy are on a balcony discussing next moves, now that they lost contact with the ship, and and they still do not know exactly where Spock is. Their attention is taken by a political rally on the street beneath them. It's the Astro Liberation Party, speaking from a platform to the people who are surprisingly excited and throwing ticker tape. They do love throwing that ticker tape. They are surprised to see the familiar word I-D-I-C, and then even more surprised when they see Spock on the platform and banners saying, Vote for Spock! Kirk can only borrow his helmsman's catchphrase and say, "Oh my," to be continued.
0: I'd vote for him. Sure, Spock. Heck yeah. He's only going to be there seven weeks, anyways, or six weeks, whatever it is. Uh, why, why, why six weeks? And didn't they say that was the length of their um, their terms? Presidential term was only Oh like six
1: right, weeks. right, 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 right. Yeah, good point. Good point. Yes. They, they have – it's interesting how they're contrasting how the Iotians took the uh, historical patterns of what Earthmen did and then adapted it to their use. And one of the interesting differences is the president stay, stays in office only six, uh, uh, six weeks or six months, six months? Yeah.
0: Is that what – I can't remember. It, it was something short. Was,
1: it was incredibly short. And, of course, Kirk Kirk right away says, how can you get anything done in six months or whatever the period is? Uh, Which is quite true, but somehow they manage it.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about how they managed it. Um, So it's been, what, a year or two since they were there? Like two years. Yeah. Yeah, so, so in two years they were able to get all this information from the communicator, and then completely change their whole society?
1: Yeah, I know. Ridiculous. And
0: change all their names? Ah! <laughs> I mean, because if you... I was thinking, well... Yeah, yeah, because these people have their names that are mirrored off of McCoy and Kirk's name. Yeah, exactly. So they, they actually point that out. They're, uh... Not anagrams. They, they, but... they pointed out that that's their names, but they don't point it out that they must have changed their names. I mean, this guy's name was you know some some gangster name and then now he's within the last two years he's changed his name to James Kirk or whatever it is, something something that sounds like James Kirk or Yeah, well they rearrange the letters. Yeah. To form new names. And I'm really
1: surprised they even bothered doing that. I mean, look at these guys. So based on a book, they became they become Gangster Chicago. Oh, uh, and and they change their names to kind of you know, mafiosa kind of names—Jojo Cracco and whatever the other guy was.
0: Um, they're stupidly imitative people. Uh, All right. So when I watched that show, I thought that that book had been on their planet for a long time. Oh, uh, but, it probably has. But, but now, now that I think about it, I mean, it couldn't have been that long. It was—I mean, I guess Archer could have dropped it off, you know, in Archer's time. So maybe, maybe, <laughs> yeah, I, a I don't I don't but remember yeah, how long it wouldn't ago. have been that long. It well, longer than two hundreds, years, probably. Hundreds of years, yeah. Exactly, right.
1: So, so they turned on a dime, and whatever they were before, they patterned themselves after gangsters. And they figured out guns, and they figured out the internal combustion engine. Um, so there is precedent, but I completely am on board with you.
0: Two years, they figure out warp drive? That's well, yeah, they That's ridiculous. Nuclear power and all that stuff. All within two years. Yeah. Yep. And and they're rebuilding. Although you can see
1: parts of the city that might be older, they've rebuilt their city in two years to be very modern looking. More modern looking than, than a 20th century uh, city.
0: Right. And they changed all their names.
1: That, that, that also bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and they did change their name. So it's now you see that they're like the, the adoring crowds are holding babies up and stuff. And you right. could see maybe naming a baby Spock or something, maybe? Right. McCoy? Yeah, exactly. Know. A baby? Right. But to your point, no. This is two years, so they would have had to
0: actually change their names. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So one of the things I did like. Is the callback to uh, The Wrath of Khan and uh, Enterprise. Mm-hmm. So I did like that Khan and Archer are in the little flashback things. Oh, yeah. As being pivotal. Yeah. Earth history. Um, a- and uh, Cochrane from First Contact. So they did do yeah. some things right. Just, I <laughs> just have a hard time believing that it all happened in two years.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're quick studies, eh? And, and and something I find interesting is, uh, did they act, did President Jamick actually pattern his robes a little off of Archer's uniform? Kind of looks like it, yeah. A little bit, um, because definitely on that page you pointed out where they show Archer um, actually seeing Jamick's outline and his his you know what you can see of his shoulders and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you see Archer like right next to him in like a photo or something. Uh, it's like, oh, ooh, yeah, ooh, yeah, that's kind of like that. So I'm glad they kind of mixed it around, spread it around a little bit, right? You know what what, what they what they chose to uh, pattern things off of. But they also show a picture of these mooks, uh, these gangster guys uh, opening up a communicator, right. and and getting it to. I mean, basically, it's like Siri. So it's it's like talking to them. Um, and it says, please set your base language for translation database. Okay, so it has a translation database. But, and I could see it having a translation database because communicators are supposed to also be, apparently, universal translators. Although, why would you have that big lightsaber hilt-looking thing <laughs> as a... Uh, as a universal translator, but whatever. Um, But look at all these records. So the communicator actually has all of these records stored in it?
0: Video? uh, Pictures? um, Historical detail? That's amazing. And what's it projecting it on? I mean, is there a projector in there too? No, not that that I
1: know of, not that I've ever seen. They
0: had a computer to sync it up with?
1: I, I guess so.
0: Because I don't remember a lot of computers in the 20s, Chicago. No,
1: no, not at all. But if in two years they were able to figure out warp drive and make spaceships, uh, <laughs> you know, this is the, this is an awful lot of uh, resources being poured into all this. I mean, right. could you imagine what the R and D would have cost? Uh, yeah, just amazing.
0: Yep. So, I a lot mean, of it doesn't uh, make sense, but whatever. I, just can't, I can't buy it.
1: I just can't buy it. Well.
0: But, I mean, that was never my favorite episode of the Taz either, so... Uh, a sequel to that episode probably not going to be my favorite either.
1: Because <laughs> you didn't like it. Um, I, I liked it just because it was, you know... It wasn't taking itself too seriously. And right. they were having fun with it. But, yeah. I mean, the whole... The whole idea that you could have, uh, you know, either a Roman time kind of thing or a gangster kind of episode, you know. Uh, And there were other examples. It's a a little ridiculous, but I I, I guess you can
0: reuse sets and things. Just use the set that, that the other people did. Exactly. I guess
1: it's cost effective, but come on, guys, really? Anyway. That's what they went with. Do you want to talk about the artwork? Let's talk about the artwork. It's quite different from the first two issues. It is. Uh, And I don't like it as much. much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at times it's like they went too heavy on the penciling and stuff. Yeah. And then at other times it's like they didn't do enough. And it's just kind of like like just outlines of people. So I don't know.
1: Yeah, and I don't know—I don't know whether it's for the better or for worse—but um, a lot of the scenes with our Starfleet heroes, um, they're not exactly hourglass, you know, kind of shaped, you know, big shoulders, narrow uh, midriffs, anything. They're starting to look a little more uh, round around the middle <laughs> in a lot of these, and of in some cases, it's pretty—it's pretty extreme. And, and in some ways, I like that because that's more like people. You know, that's more like how people are shaped in general. You know, not they don't have the benefit of the next gen uh, special padded shoulders and T-shirts uh, to make everybody look oh like you know ideal form. Um, but in some cases, it looks pretty
0: pretty. They go a little far. So you're saying they wore padded? I knew that War Four padded shirt, but. Oh, all, they, the, all the men did too. Oh
1: yeah, they've got special. Yeah, oh yeah, they've got special T-shirts on. Oh really? Padded. Yeah, that that's oh. why that's why they look so perfect. You know, they got that like triangular torso kind of thing. Yeah. So there was a there's one of those like interviews at a convention or something, and uh, a circus or actress. Uh, yeah, uh, Mira Surtis. Yeah, that yeah, her. Uh, she she said yes. All our bad. All our boys wear special T-shirts or special shirts under their under their uh, tunics. Hmm. So yeah, yep. So this is just the opposite. I mean, you know, there's not there's nothing enhancing your shoulders or your 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 pecs or anything, um, and so people are a little bit a little bit more normal looking, like. You know, more like people. Right. But I'm kind of surprised because, you know, some of the some of the Star Trek comics are just ridiculous how they drew like superhero Picards and Rikers. Right. And this is like the other end of the spectrum. People are looking. And maybe they did that purposely just to say, you know, they're getting a little older, you know, just acknowledging that they're getting towards the uh, towards the Taz movie shapes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Although I gotta say uh, Shatner was still in pretty darn good shape for Wrath of Khan um, Was he? Yep yep. Qu- quite a bit different Let's go forward to uh, the sixth movie <laughs> Quite a difference for
0: Kirk <laughs> uh, Yeah, that, his sweater's not doing him any justice in, the, in this book, Shatner He's uh, looking... Sweater? Okay Yeah, Shatner is Shatner, uh, Kirk is the one that's looking, to me, the heaviest. And it's like that sweater that he's wearing is is not doing him any favors. Oh, sweater? Uh, which, uh, well, which his, his tunic. His whatever. tunic. Okay, yeah, okay yeah.
1: his tunic. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And there's some shots where McCoy is looking rather large around the belly, too. And it's like uh, McCoy, I mean, DeForest Kelly was always a thin man. Right. Yeah, so I'm looking at that. I'm looking at that one uh, where they're on the uh, on the Iocian uh, spaceship. Oh, okay. And they're and they're saying, "Hey, come on, let's have some food." And everything's like prepackaged, you know, NASA food. And then uh, McCoy and, and Spock and and Kirk are standing there. And look at McCoy; he looks like quite the uh, bowling ball, or a, a bowling pin. I should say bowling pin. Looks,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, I guess so. All right, just an
0: observation. I'll stop talking about that now. All right. <laughs> um, one, one of the pieces of artwork that I did like was the Enterprise amongst all the, the space trash. I thought mm. that looked cool. And boy, talk about space trash.
1: So in two years, they were able to put that much space trash in orbit? That's amazing. Right. It is pretty amazing. Because uh, if you don't have the book, whew,
0: that's, a lot of, that's a lot of garbage. Yeah, it's basically created a ring around the planet. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. So the Earth now has a uh, a ring around it, like like Jupiter. Right. Or Saturn, rather. I
0: should say Saturn. Yes, yeah, Saturn. Um, yes. Only it's space trash. Right. All right. And then my last comment about this issue is um, I didn't understand the mutiny thing. I mean, all of a sudden these guys are, like, sweating and they're acting all weird, so... I kept waiting for there to be some explanation as to maybe they're not quite themselves or something like that, but it doesn't seem like that's where they're going at the end. Well, you're about the uh, the liberation party. Who are you no, about? no, no. I'm talking about the people on the Enterprise that are wanting to kill the baby. Oh, oh, that part. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's weird. But, yeah, I mean, so, it shows them, like, sweating and stuff. So I was like, are they supposed to be saying that, you know, the heat's getting to them, or what's going on? I don't know. Uh, I, I just took it as kind of a, um,
1: a specious kind of whatever. But, I mean, the security guys, their, guard, their, their job is to guard the uh, crew. And, yeah, I guess if you see that there's uh, a direct threat to the crew, you're going to want to do something to stop it. But it's like if a superior officer tells you to back down, you back down. Right. I mean, Uhura, yes. Um, but then Scotty's there. I mean, he's not only the acting captain,
0: but he's like third in command all the right. time. Well, and they know that Captain Kirk is the one that wanted to keep the baby safe. So it's yeah. like he's off the ship. So they're like, all right, we're going to kill it now. Yeah, it
1: doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes no sense. Yeah. But I don't think they're being influenced by something. If that's what you mean, you just think they're jerks. I I think they're poo poo heads. Yes,
0: <laughs> I think. they're All right.
1: Because otherwise, I mean, I mean, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But what are they going to get influenced by?
0: I don't know. But there's that one shot that shows that guy sweating, and I know that the the alien yeah likes the likes have- it hot. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe maybe the heat's getting to him. I don't know. Yeah,
1: I don't know. But maybe. I, I guess don't we'll know. find out in the next I'm one.
0: they figure it out in the next issue.
1: Yeah. I just had one more thing to say. So, in the montage that showed Archer and yeah. uh and, Khan and, and other historical things, um I thought it was interesting that they did include a shot of a uh, at what I think is the USS Horizon which is a dataless class ship. The, uh,
0: the ball-looking the ball,
1: ship? The ball-looking one, exactly. Rather uh-huh. than the NX-01. Oh, right. Now, I think including NX-01 might have been too easy, but come on. Come on. I mean, you really should include the NX-01. But instead, they choose the Horizon, which is a clunky-looking ship. Yep, it's pretty ugly. It's a butt-ugly ship. Um, it's got the ball for the primary hull, and then the secondary hull really is just a cylinder. Yep. And then there's a neck connecting the two, and then it's just got two, uh, you know, two nacelles on them. Normal-looking nacelles. I think they even have nipples on them. Um,
0: Ooh. 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 Now you
1: got me interested. And then, and and looking at a photo of it, because I went ahead and just, just, you know, pulled it up, because I wanted to see more about it, um... The the deflector area, it's not just a dish. It's actually more like kind of sort of four mini dishes, kind of arrayed.
0: Oh, yeah, I see it, yeah.
1: Which is like, well, interesting. They're mixing it up a bit. Um, it's just that why did they pick that ship? I mean, is there really some historical significance to it that we just don't know about? Uh, or I mean, actually in canon. Right. Or is it just, you know, the the uh, the artist just wanted to mix things up a bit? Um, you know, so they, they threw the Daedalus in there? Or a Daedalus class.
0: Right. At the Horizon. I don't know. It just seemed odd. Yeah, good point. I don't know. But I also don't know why the, uh, I mean, that picture of Khan, isn't that, the exact cover of one of those books. Oh, the con, con uh, uh, in hell or whatever it was. That series. Yeah, one of the first ones, though. Yeah. The the first one with um, I don't know. I, I, it, I, it could I be. Just, could be. But so he just took, took the cover and it was just like. Well, why not you? Because I mean, it? it even has like it's the the Eugenics War. Yeah. By Greg Cox. Uh, right. It's a little different. The back, the okay.
1: So that's the novel.
0: It's a novel. Okay. But in the uh, no, it's the exact same cover. It has the same uh, helicopter in the background and the soldiers running up towards it in the back. Oh, okay, it's, cool. It's the cover of the Eugenics War: The Rise and Fall of Con Noonien scenes Oh, okay. Um, by Greg Cox. Okay. Yeah, I knew so it looked familiar. It,
1: they took it from the novel, not from the IDW series, because there right. were a couple. There were a couple right. things they did showing him his time on uh, on the planet, yeah. but they also covered his time, the rise and fall of, you know, of Khan in a comic book form.
0: Right. Yeah, no, no, this is from the actual novel. From the novel. The, like, market, oh, cool. the pocket books or whatever. Right, right. But it's just weird. I mean, it's the exact same picture. Just colored differently. Interesting. So, I... Uh, yeah, who knows. Well, know
1: you know, maybe the artist, maybe the author, uh maybe they liked that book and thought, you know, this this just will really work well if we use that. Yeah, a little
0: a little a little easter egg for
1: Yeah, hardcore fans. There it is. There it is. Uh, cuz definitely that picture of uh Cochrane shaking uh the Vulcan's hand, that's right, right out of the movie. Sure. Um I'm
0: sure that's a picture of Archer from the show. mm mm-hmm. Mhm.
1: And, and look at Archer. Archer's drawn mighty thin and trim. Um, and maybe that's just because they took it directly from a photo uh, or from some scene in in, in Enterprise. But, yeah, um, and I
0: think that, that Kennedy and Martin Luther King and the moon landing. Right. I mean, those all look like photos, too. That have just been photoshopped or whatever to look like pictures.
1: Yeah, like processed somehow. To look like it was artistically done. Or maybe it was artistically done. But it does look very accurate to the original photos, probably. Right.
0: So, anyways, that was it. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Cool. And I love two issues. We've had two – the last two issues had callbacks to Enterprise in some way. So, it's kind (laughs) of cool that we've been reading (laughs) IDW books for 20 years now, or 10 years now. And they're just now referencing uh, Enterprise. Well,
1: oh, they had a—they had that little had, what waypoint. Two, they had yeah, that waypoint had, story.
0: There was the waypoint story and the uh, the doctor crossover where it had Flocks, Flocks, and Crusher. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so that's it. <laughs> well, and then, and then here, two two issues that came out a month apart both have references to uh, Enterprise. stuff. So. Maybe maybe we're finally turning that corner and we're going to start seeing more Enterprise stuff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe. Maybe they're, maybe the uh, artist is just a fan, or the authors.
0: The, the writers.
1: I, I don't see why they would not include... I mean, they're talking about historical stuff, so this was the opportunity. To right. right all those wrongs, Donovan. Or at least try to right all those wrongs. All those Enterprise snubs.
0: Exactly, yeah. There you go. All right. Anything else, Ken?
1: Uh no. I have nothing else to say about this one uh except that kind of like the first two issues more than the third one. Um right. just cuz it's a little hard to swallow. But sure. um you know what's what's you know what's happening. But hey, if you turn your turn your brain off and just go with it, it's fine.
0: <laughs> All okay. right. So then uh we'll we'll finish off uh, I'm assuming it'll finish off this story, but and start up a new one. But we'll do uh, issues four, five, and six next episode. Mm-hmm. Maybe I, maybe
1: we'll find out how Kirk gets uh, beaten up and get a gun well, to, held to his head. Maybe
0: I I did look at the uh, issues, and they already have the cover of issue twelve, okay. and it shows uh, Kirk with the uh, gun up to his head. So wow, you know, thinking it's time twelve to get issues resolved anytime soon. Ugh,
1: twelve issues to get to that. Yep. Well, talk up, yep. talk about a teaser.
0: Yep, they're they're dragging it out.
1: Okay, okay, that's fine. Whatever.
0: But at least at least it uh, because we waited so long to read these. Uh, it, it comes out next month, so we don't have to wait long. Good. Okay. All right. Well,
1: uh, everybody will hear this. Whoever is listening, um, probably sometime in the summer. But for us right now, uh, happy New Year's, 2020, woohoo hoo
0: yep, to everybody. Yep. End of a decade.
1: End of a decade. Not only a year, but a decade. Wow. <sighs> these, uh, these decades are going past kind
0: of fast for me. I oh, know, right? I was telling the kids that this is the first decade that they were alive the whole decade. Mm-hmm. And they were like, no, that's not true. And they're like, oh, yeah, I guess it is. And I'm like, eh, then after now, it's the first of many.
1: It's the first of many.
0: Once you get out of school, once you graduate, you're just like, time just goes by so fast. It does. It does.
1: Okay. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, on the review. See you next week. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. second name book review see you next time on Star Trek comic book review let's get the hell out of here